Welcome to Fan Fiction is Good, actually a podcast about how fan fiction is good. Actually, guest, please kindly introduce yourself and how you'd like to be known on the internet and in the world at large. Oh man, well preferably as little as possible and never by the wrong people. But um, my name is Alex Flanagan and I am uh, both an internet friend and a real world friend, I like to think, to Evan. Yeah. So it's great to be here. Happy to be a friend of the show. Happy to be a friend of the man behind the show. Happy to love to see Gibby Cats on screen. Oh, That's yeah. always the, great to me personally. Al- Axel's also here. Axel uh, decided, <laughs> well, he always decides he has to be a participant in absolutely everything. Uh, I was really picking levels. up on that. Yeah, it's sort of like a, of chaos. a yeah. shadow host um, to the show, I think, so... Um, but anyway, yeah, so I'm Alex. I'm I'm on the uh, dying neutron star that is Twitter as Coffee Detective, C-O-F-F-3-3 Detective. You may know me from uh, former podcast enterprises such as The Cryptid Keeper or Horror Borealis. I've been like in a billion other places as well. Um, but today I'm here and I'm thrilled about it. A fellow of many talents. Too many talents, actually. Please cool it. <laughs> um thank you so much for uh being on my silly little podcast alex fun story for the listeners uh when i first conceived of this podcast i approached alex uh asking if they would potentially co-host with me and understandably uh they did not have time you, yeah like, i need you to know you, i need to know like, the heart was so so willing oh i know but. i know like this is not a diss in any way like i'm just I am honored and delighted to finally have you on my podcast. Um, also, like, I know you would have been on earlier had I asked you, but uh, I was... But is, uh, it's okay. A long, at long last, this is a glimpse into the alternate timeline of what could have been with this show. Yeah, um, but I, I'm going to do the thing that I always do with everybody, which is ask you to explain what was the thing that got you into things... What, what at what point in your life did you realize that uh, you liked too many things and you had to participate in a culture related to them? Oh man, um, I think that's a complicated question. So, like, just broadly speaking, things in general, or like yeah. a specific, uh, like like fan fiction or engaging with fan works as it I, is. I, like, I sort of think of this as like the media property that got you into fandom mm-hmm. uh like yeah for so... me it was it was uh yu yu haka show which led to yeah. anime in general which uh, like really catapulted me into like fan fan communities I, I mean i liked nerd stuff before then i liked you know yeah, yeah. high fantasy stuff but i never interacted with like a fan community before i started getting into anime totally so this is actually funny because i have kind of like a, a an a, a non-linear relationship with fandom culture, I think, um, which is funny now because now I'm like a very outward proponent of like, yeah, absolutely get involved in the thing. Um, like cringe is dead, be free. But uh, I think that like that was definitely not always the case. Right. So I, the f- I, I didn't like grow up reading or engaging with fan fiction, um, especially not in my like adolescent years. Um my older sister did, and I only know this because we had a shared family computer, and, like, it, it, we did not live in the kind of household where, like, it would have been okay to engage with material that gave you any, like, agency over, you know, sexuality or romantic interest or, like, problematic content or anything. Sure, like, that sure, would have been sure. completely out of the, the realm of, of possibility. So my knowing this was only a result of, like, waking up early and occasionally finding something like a browser tab left open. And so me being, like on the one hand, very curious, on the other hand, like, very scandalized, and, like, I'm never going to talk about this, I'm never going to, like, acknowledge this, I'm not even going to, like, look at this or read this, and I had a very, like, locked-in idea of fan fiction as being, like, both, um, you know, a problematic or, like, like dirty thing, but also as being, like, low art, <laughs> and mm-hmm. I thought of myself very much as, like, a serious intellectual and, like, a very, you know, serious writer, and, like, I took my crap very seriously, and, like, you know, I knew that like writing was a thing that I was good at and like could do and just like scandalized by the idea that there are people out here just like making what I assumed was very low quality garbage writing. Um, so that was sort of the position that I was in. But of course, like any, you know, teenage girl at the time, it was sort of a uh, the lady doth protest too much type of thing. And of course, I was like very fascinated by this idea that people were engaging with with works in this way and doing this kind of creative content. And so uh, the way that this sort of reconciled itself within me is when I finally got 
my own computer um, as part of like a scholarship that I received going into college. Uh, one of the things I got like a, a personal laptop that I could take to school with me. And it was like, the first time in my life that I had a computer or like anything that was like password locked that could have been just mine, right? Where my browser mm-hmm. history wasn't going to be shared with my family. Um, and so I started uh, engaging on DeviantArt with, and you're going to laugh because this is so funny now, like Marvel Avengers fan fiction, right? So this was 2012. You have to understand. Uh-huh. Avengers was oh, different yeah. in 2012. It was a completely oh, yeah. different landscape. The Avengers fandom was different. Um, but the way that I justified this to myself and reconciled it in my head was I was like, I am going to engage with fan fiction as a thought experiment. Like ah, I am going to extremely intellectual. Clearly you know. there's yeah. <laughs> and this is so stupid. It's so stupid. They're like I am the... I am not in any way judging you because I also was like the worst kind of know it all as yeah. like Oh you should though. A, I was a, terrible. A yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> judge, I, like... judge this person. <laughs> um feel so so grateful that you met me at a time in my life when I was a little bit more cool than this. Um but yeah no so like the, the cognitive dissonance required to engage in this. But like I'm sure you understand, or like coming from, you know, I'm not going to speak for your background, but coming from my like very repressed background, it was like the cognitive dissonance of like engaging with this as a thing from a standpoint of being like, this is ironic. Like yeah. I'm ironically yeah. engaging with fan fiction. I'm reading some of it so that I know what's out there so that I can then write it to prove to myself that it's like so easy to write this this is the lowest form of writing there is and it's like silly that people are doing this but i bet i could theoretically write a better one than what's out there because like (laughs) talented writers aren't writing fan fiction so it would be so easy for me to break into this niche right it would be so somebody make a bet with me that i can write fan fiction please (laughs) literally (laughs) begging for anyone why is everyone in this room daring me to write avengers fan fiction (laughs) um so i did so i wrote a little bit and uh not like it not like a tremendous amount and this was like my shameful secret um that i at age 18 was like daring to write a little bit of fan fiction uh but that's sort of the first thing that like brought me into doing it of course and then over the years like my opinions on it have have drastically changed i've never really been like hardcore into a fandom there is a lot of like fandom behavior that has consistently been very alienating to me um you know just in a lot of different places but I, I did write Avengers fan fiction. I was on uh, then I was I got pretty active on Tumblr in college, and I was not a super hulak individual. I didn't watch any of those shows, but I was friends with a lot of people who did. And I was the kind of friends where it's like if I had unfollowed them on Tumblr, it would have like been a whole thing. So I mm-hmm. followed them on Tumblr, and so as a result, I knew the entire plot of Doctor Who and Supernatural and Once Upon a Time. Like despite having never watched any of these shows, I'm like very familiar with the plot of every single one of them and know a lot of the most iconic episodes. Pretty like gif set by gif set you know so um there's that but yeah that was sort of the main thing and then i think when i really started getting like intensely into fandom like a specific transformative works as like a, a method of exploration was really pretty much like 2019 2020 you know i had moved back to start this job a lot of things in my life were sort of changing and i Obviously, you know, once 2020 hit and it was like I was working from home and I was like a lot more free time on my hands and a lot of things that I was like processing for myself and reckoning with, um, I was sort of approaching transition in a way that was like, you know, running up against the edge of a cliff and like not being able to step back from it in the same way that I had previously done. And so it was like, well, I am getting really into some certain media. I am like really sort of throwing myself into various things. And I'm so compelled by like, a lot of the characters I'm seeing, a lot of the things I'm seeing, a lot of like the sort of concepts of presentation that I'm seeing. And uh, I just got really fascinated by people, by the way that people use like familiar language of like characters that are universal or like established scenarios to really break past that and start getting into like rampant, unapologetic projection. (laughs) I think that that is the coolest thing. Um, and I love that. I love that about it. Uh, so I'm very into uh, certain anime now is sort of like where my my tendencies more lie. Uh, and so that is like I, I got really into sports anime in 2020. And that is like, boom, that like clicked in my brain in a way that I could not possibly begin to explain to you. 
Um, but that's sort of where a lot of my attention lingers now, at least in the, the fan work side of things. So I have not touched Avengers fandom in quite a long time. Uh, very roundabout way of saying I pretty much hate everything the Marvel Cinematic Universe has become. Yeah, but same. that's a different story. Oh boy. <laughs> Yeah, so not, uh, not really I, there anymore. Uh, I, I don't even, I, I can't even say I hate it. I'm like extremely indifferent to the formulaic Marvel materials yeah. now. Like the extremely same, 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 every movie, God. like churn, the churn of Marvel movies is like mm-hmm. static. It's like white noise to me now. So Yeah, um, I'm just yeah. like so uninterested. Like literally the biggest condemnation I can think of is that if you had told 18 year old me, that there would finally eventually come a point when there was like a Black Widow standalone movie and a Loki spinoff TV series. And I would care nothing at all about either of those things. Like that is sort of the the progression of where that thing is. Like that's nuts yeah. because there was a moment when either of those things would have lit my brain on fire in a way I was like desperately wrote, like hoping for, you know, so I don't know. We end up where we end up, but uh, yeah. that was a part of the journey. and <laughs> It is certainly not where the journey has gotten. Yeah, I uh, also got back deep into fan culture in the pandemic times. I think a lot of people did. I don't have mm-hmm. any like data on this, yeah. but uh, like many times in my life when I have been socially isolated previously, not for quarantine reasons, but like when there was a time when I moved away from home and I didn't mm-hmm. have any friends and I used like online fan communities very much for like my, my social interaction. Basically. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, and so like, when I found myself trapped inside once again, uh, it I didn't intend to, but it just sort of happened that my brain mm-hmm. went into the same mode and I was like, I've gotta return to fan fictions. I've gotta I've gotta <laughs> continue fan fictions that I uh, like abandoned seven years ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, I've gotta get back in there. This suddenly is the most important thing. Um, yeah. that's funny. And I think there's like a lot wrapped up in that, right? There is, you know, on the one hand, uh there is just what else are you doing with that time you know and you're desperate for connection like i gotta get in there there's also i think to me at least there was this feeling of like total stagnation it was like i want to be making something i want to be doing something i want to like feel some sense of time passing so like i got really into weightlifting (laughs) because i could like Mm -hmm. track doing it every day and it was like seeing that word count go up was like something that i could do or like waiting for updates for other people and then i think what's so funny is there's that sense of like fan work community like obligation like if there are other people Mm -hmm. commenting and saying like oh man i like love waiting for these updates and it's like well i owe that to these people and like the people who post their updates when i'm waiting for them like they're doing me a huge solid like that might be what gets me through the week of you know june whatever 2020 like this this might be the only thing that i have going for me so i'll give that to somebody else and then somebody else will pass that on but there's also like um for me at least you know once there was that shutdown, and even prior to that, this was something that started, you know, from the time I sort of moved back here um, to take this job, is it was like, I didn't have an in-person social network at that time. I just, it, one, it just didn't exist. Um, but then even more so, you know, once lockdown happened, and it was like the only people I was talking to were people from work. And those were people who did not know the person that I was or was trying to become, like, in any way, shape, or form. They had mm-hmm. a very limited viewpoint into who I am. And so it was like really, really necessary for my well-being, my mental health, my like ability to project any kind of meaningful future or development for myself that I be able to build like a a version of me somewhere that felt like it more accurately reflected the things I was doing. And so like Mm -hmm. if that was starting a new profile on the archive of our own and then there are people who only were making assumptions about me based on like the things that I was writing – those assumptions were probably more accurate than the assumptions people were making about me based on like the day job I was doing. Right. Like there is no such thing as a completely accurate picture of yourself in somebody else's brain. All of it is based on assumptions and framework and projection. And so like, at least I could control what people were, were building those assumptions on. And even if they were constructed intentionally by me to a certain degree, like that's no different than the way that you interact with real people in the public world. Like that's, Mm -hmm everything is a mask all of it and so like in some ways this just like faceless nameless profile that exists somewhere that is sort of centered loosely around these same recurring themes and these characters and like these very obvious through lines in creative work is like a more accurate insight into the person that I was at the time stripped devoid of like 
the concept of gender or concept of like, you know, outward appearance or concept of productivity and like position in society and like class and, and uh, living scenario and, you know, social network and all of those things, like those things didn't matter under this framework. There were people who were effectively like meeting me and interacting with and engaging with the person that I am based solely on like the things that I was handing them. And that's like really liberating. Yeah. Uh, also, extremely relatable early transition vibes. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. The first, <laughs> the first uh, like experiments with like trying out a new name mm-hmm. and like trying on the idea of having people refer to me with masculine pronouns was something I did in fan communities on Tumblr a long time ago, and I was like, I was like so anxious about it. Like, people yeah, yeah, would somebody's gonna me, find me out. <laughs> yeah, like somebody would send me messages like, "Oh, can I can I like credit you with a name on this?" Like, "Oh, I'm referring to this in thing." Mm-hmm. Uh, like, what what name do you want to be like known as when I link to this or whatever? And I was like. <laughs> Evan uh, and like <laughs> mm-hmm. like and it felt like such a huge deal even though to the person whoever this was they, like they right. truly did not care but it was like safe yeah, right yeah. there if they did didn't ever... know me they would never interact with me again so I could throw out any random name and like, it could have been anything yes right? could have been anything but it like you know it felt it felt like so impactful to me mm-hmm. so uh yeah, yeah that was very very formative experience i had online in my like early transition days my like yeah. pre-deciding to transition medically days you know did you ever do like uh like forum or blog based like play by post like rp did you do like oh yes. Role play? <laughs> yes yeah 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 oh yeah um i wow that was a lot of fun those are some of like the most like thrilling experiences i had online i know that sounds incredibly lame but this was like this was so novel for me to like one have people to interact with who were just as obsessed with mm-hmm. the thing as yeah, yeah. I was, and then also to um, I don't know be like building narrative in real time, even if it was just like flirting, you know, like even yeah. if it was just like uh, it was really uh, it was definitely important for me to be like using character voices in real time and like mm-hmm. sort of. It, it is very much like um, like flirting in real life with somebody who, you, you know, you met and you're texting with them and you're anxiously waiting for their response. Oh, yeah. You're like so waiting yeah, for that update, yeah, you're like yeah, a yeah. little notification and you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't like romantic. It was just like right. these these people are like my people and it's important that I like build a strong relationship with them like oh boy I, I can't wait to like get online and text rp with them later and learning like, like the quirks of like various people that you like really enjoyed role playing with and like yeah. the themes that came up in their characters all the time or like building char- like new ocs together where you're uh-huh. like oh that's your character well what if i we made a character like somebody saying like hey you should make a character to go with this character like in a non-romantic sense or otherwise or like in a mm. shipping sense it doesn't matter but like just the idea of that connection of like oh here is like some totally random completely different type of human connection that i did not know existed <laughs> yeah also incredibly like flattering and validating if, yeah uh, like somebody really likes your character or your mm-hmm. portrayal of a character because like that's a yeah, reflection yeah. of you right like even if it's oh, even totally. if it has nothing to do with like who you are in real life like this but is it probably does it's probably like yeah. way more honest than a lot of the built-in assumptions that you've just sort of accumulated about yourself over time right mm-hmm. i remember uh i had like a role play buddy who was in australia and uh-huh. the, the hours that we overlapped in like the waking hours that we <laughs> yeah, overlapped yeah, yeah. were extremely slim so i was like on um i think it was whatsapp i think i had the whatsapp app. oh yeah and like at work i was like role playing with this person yeah. on whatsapp like at what was for me like eight in the morning like sneakily Mm -hmm. under my desk it was very thrilling it was a very very thrilling time in my life there's something taboo about all of it isn't there yeah oh very much yeah yeah that's fun i um i did some the first like rp i really did was like a tumblr based role playing that i totally fell into this was totally like by happenstance with a small group of other people on tumblr that just sort of evolved into this like star trek original lore 
role play that like was sustained for a bit we had like characters and like narratives that evolved over time for a while um really fun really cool group of people and again just like totally spontaneously evolved thing it was not like an established community it was just like this one post that sort of grew into this story and then people like got excited about it and so we were like oh my god and then like you know built this whole narrative and these characters around it and uh it was very very dear to me i ended up being like pen pals with a handful of those people and reconnected with a few of them later and then actually a couple years ago uh one of the like original members of that sort of group uh reached back out to everybody and sort of like got a conversation going and we ended up playing like an online session or two of like the star trek tabletop game um with our characters which was like very very fun uh and it was so cool to see some of that like evolution over time and like sort of soft rebooting some of those characters because the people behind them had like changed pretty significantly but uh it was really really neat and that was just like such a fun thing there are some people who like even now I've, I've followed them across a couple of platforms and it's really funny because at the time it was just like you know i know i was a nobody college student doing like nothing and then um ended up like picking up some small amount of like internet notoriety and people who like listen to various shows or whatever and uh, i remember actually when we did the cryptic keeper live show there was a friend of mine in attendance who came who was just like an old rp friend of mine like from a forum rp and that was wild and like getting to meet this person in person and it was so funny because i think like you know and i say this with all the love in my heart this is not a judgmental thing like that person held no like notoriety or significance in any of like my podcasting circles they were not a person who like had any recognition or like name worthiness or anything nobody else in that room would have like known who they are they aren't like involved in like cryptid keeper circles or whatever but like to see this person in real life and be like this is incredible like oh my god this is amazing like i never thought this would happen the spheres the spheres um, have converged it There's was so some so kind of cool. cosmic event yeah it was so cool and it was just like the neatest thing that happened to me at the crypto keeper live show was meeting this person i never thought i would admit and they handed me like original like warrior cats ocs art and i was like amazing. this rules <laughs> <laughs> this is like as, as you were talking i was having flashes of like what if i reconnected with all of the people on tumblr that i used to play <laughs> with they probably don't even have online presences anymore and if yeah. they did i i cannot honestly say if they would want to interact with me or if i would want to interact with them sure. but uh you yeah. know it's just a just a wild thought like wow <laughs> miracles can happen like weird shit can come back to yeah, you <laughs> definitely and it's just it's so strange it's so funny to see like some of those people i mean all of those people obviously like are, are real people with real lives behind it but just to like really be reminded of that over and over again by like sometimes people just di disappear from a forum mm -hmm. or like vanish you know the profile goes dark one day and you're like i have no idea what happened to that person and uh to occasionally think about that and be like wow that was like I wonder what happened to them. I wonder what happened yeah. to so-and-so. And, like, I have no way whatsoever of reaching back out and reestablishing that because, like, the only connection I had with this person was, like, a dead link on a, you know, dead forum somewhere. And yet um, it was so intense. And yet it was yet so our, intense. For that moment, our relationship was, like, yeah, yeah. so important to me and presumably both of us. But just know? knowing that, like, that's a person out there somewhere now with just, like, a day job who's just, mm -hmm. like, hanging out. And it's like, do they do they think about that? Do they think about their yeah. OCs? Probably. Pro I do. Well, yeah, somebody... Do... <laughs> uh, the closest that, like ever happened to me like that like you were saying like meeting somebody mm -hmm. from the internet in real life was uh like my first week at college uh, -huh. uh i met a dude who had read my yu yu Hakusho fan fiction oh, i think i've nice. on the podcast before but like yeah completely randomly like we had no like no actual mm -hmm. connection it was just like a pure serendipity the world is very tiny thing where i like That's so funny i don't even remember how like it came up in conversation but i mentioned that like i wrote yu yu Hakusho fan fiction and he was like which uh. ones <laughs> and i like rattled off the names and he was like oh my god i read that it's so good oh it, that's awesome reader, reader it was not good it was not it good. doesn't matter it, it doesn't matter in it the doesn't matter. yeah there was some weird shit in there and it like but you know it, they're still listen. they're still like they're still up i i have no connection to those profiles yeah. i can't even log into them well i assume they're still up i have not checked fanfiction.net in many years but uh yeah that it was a truly weird experience uh probably probably not something i would ever want to happen again honestly <laughs> one of my favorite things and like this yeah no i totally get you <laughs> that is embarrassing um but one of the things that i think is, is most fascinating now as an adult who's like in fan works is this sort of understanding i carry in my soul that's like 
if I were to meet somebody and they were to be like, oh, I've read your fan fictions, uh, just like totally out of the blue. It's like, there's nothing you can say in that circumstance. Like, there's nothing that the person bringing me that information can say in that circumstance that is like embarrassing or revealing for me that isn't equally embarrassing or revealing for them. It's like my sure. brother in Christ, you read it. <laughs> like you, you typed you the query, you know, <laughs> you don't accidentally read like 30,000 words of fan fiction, mm -hmm. you know, you wanted it. So like yeah. you opted into that experience. You looked at the tags and you decided this is what I want to be doing. So like, is it weird for me to write it? Maybe. Is it weird for you to look at those tags and decide that's something you wanted to read? Like, mm -hmm. we're, we're equally complicit, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, there's at least some security in the conversation <laughs> in the sense that it's like, this is going to reflect just as badly on you as it is on me. So you be very careful what you say. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, well, the person writing it definitely spent longer writing it than the person reading it spent reading it. So there is that. But no, you're right. You're absolutely correct. Uh, uh, is there... <laughs> Uh, any fan fiction of yours uh, still meandering around online? You don't have to like say where it is or what it is or anything, but like, oh yeah, no, I mean I've written stuff recently. Um, okay, like uh, not you know not anything like tremendously earth shattering or or like particularly weird. I don't write particularly weird fan fiction. I read some, um, mm -hmm. but and then I listen. I'm sure if you were well versed enough to like know the sort of path of my internet handles and like trace it back to the I era find you. to the era when I would have been writing Avengers fan fiction like it's on DeviantArt I'm sure mm -hmm. you could find it um I make no promises about it I'm sure like it's it, it's from a very different Alex <laughs> um DeviantArt not imploded is oh I guess it's oh it still I exists because it's... they're having a big NFT something something yeah I'm pretty sure it still right exists now. um yeah I know, okay, this is what I'm thinking of. A lot of people have taken their art off DeviantArt because, yeah. like, DeviantArt is allowing art to be used to train AIs, or, it's like, they're allowing it to be NFTified or something like that, which, oh, big yikes, but... Respectfully, yeah. the funniest fucking thing that could happen to my old Avengers fanfiction would be to train NFT bots. So <laughs> have at it. Uh, DeviantArt has my express permission to train their AIs on that. On if your that's Avengers what they want. On, on my Avengers fanfiction, please go for it. Let's start NFTifying our old fanfictions the way they NFT'd Neon Cat. Yes, exactly. Because then I, it's I, embarrassing. Again, then it's embarrassing for everybody. Yeah. It's like, okay, yeah, sure. I wrote Avengers fanfiction. You paid a lot of fake money for it on the internet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think a lot of real money. I think you have to pay for NFTs with real money that you converted into fake money. That you converted into fake money, yeah. Yeah, so. even, more, even more embarrassing. Oh, boy. Let's not talk about NFTs. <laughs> yeah, that's depressing. I do, like, it is, it is reassuring, at least, that they do seem to be crashing and burning in the public sphere uh maybe yeah. this is just the communities i'm in but the the little blips of nft news i keep seeing seem to be extremely negative so hopefully those yeah. just go away forever i don't know uh so when we were hanging out last we had a conversation about uh uh problematic topics in fan fiction and uh like this is a you know very normal yeah, breakfast conversation. Yeah, yeah, normal normal thing to talk about over your waffle breakfast sandwich. But <laughs> I, I don't remember exactly how we got onto that topic. But uh, yeah, it like it was it touched something close to home for me because I have definitely like explored some dark stuff mm -hmm. through fan fiction. Um, not not because I've like been through like major life traumas or anything, but just because this was kind of an, kind of an important period of development for me where like I was sort of fascinated by dark topics and mm -hmm. I had to like kind of work through some of that by doing you know I had to like yeah totally I had to like imagine some some kind of uh like dark scenarios and like play them through in my brain uh and on the other side of that I was able to like reflect more critically on like why I was thinking about that sort of thing and, yeah like, totally why that was important to me so uh, it's been very troubling to me to see, especially on Tumblr and now to a lesser extent on Twitter, mm -hmm. the evolution of like moral absolutism in fan communities. Yeah. Um, I 
like I said, I saw it first on Tumblr, and this has been a thing that's kind of been brewing at least since, like, 2011 or thereabouts, where uh, people sort of try to lump everything on the internet, everything, like, man-made into, uh, like, good or bad, like, morally pure or morally Mm -hmm. complicated Anything morally complicated tends to get lumped in with, you know, the bad stuff, like capital T, capital B, the bad stuff. Yeah, yeah. So um, this seems to me to be a a major departure from how fan communities were for uh, the years prior to that. And I'm no, like, expert or anything like that, but uh, it seems to me that really the ethos around fan fiction and like how how you interact with uh things that might gross you out or like things that Mm -hmm. might not be to your taste has really changed so here's here's my my standpoint on it and um i yeah no i totally agree with you and i think that it's objectively academically fascinating um personally Mm -hmm. i I hate it (laughs) i hate everything about it but academically it's fascinating and um i don't know if you know this actually i don't know if this ever come up in conversation my capstone thesis for my undergraduate degree was in censorship um, that was like the topic. That. Yeah, that was like the topic that I sort of explored and discovered. And it was like a little bit like my focus was narrower than that because I was doing an interdisciplinary degree. Um, I started out as a jazz studies major in college, which is sort of like already implicitly, you know, has to do with the political narrative of, of an art form. It's an implicitly political art form. Yeah, um, for sure. But also like by the time I, I sort of rearranged my degree, I was doing this self-designed interdisciplinary degree in music and English and history. And so I was studying a lot of art history, a lot of theater history, and a lot of the political history specifically of like uh, early 20th century America and like the way that art forms were engaging around then. So it was about censorship specifically during like the Hays Code era and uh, as film was evolving and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the thing about like internal policing of morality within art forms is that uh, in a way, it is very like circa 2011 Tumblr. In other ways, it's very circa beginning of everything ever. Um, sure. And so really like what I think happens is you'll have essentially all of our history is driven by you'll, you'll have a culture and then you'll have a counterculture. Right. Mm-hmm. And that process repeats indefinitely what's fascinating now is like now the primary method of like cultural acquisition and consumption is already implicitly driven by like niche ideology like you are Mm -hmm. sort of self-selecting into a culture before the main pop culture reaches you you're already deciding ahead of time like what it is you're going to be seeing and looking for and like your algorithm is tailoring that to you so the culture counterculture movement is like going to evolve in weirder ways as it goes on but for most of history you'll have a predominant form like an art form or a political form or a thought process or a philosophy that'll be guiding the development of something and then you will have uh a, a movement that operates against it that sort of like butts up against those ideals and that's how most mm-hmm. things evolve like it's how we got from impressionism to expressionism to modernism to postmodernism and minimalism and etc 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 like everything is built on this cycle but that's because there's a moment when the subculture becomes prevalent enough that it then becomes the prevailing culture mm-hmm. and i think what some of this is driven by is there's sort of an optimal size at which a thing can exist when it's still is functionally the underdog at a certain point it no longer is that but the people inside of it are so used to the idea of being like struggling to be heard that they don't recognize that they have the level of impact that they do and so Mm -hmm. you'll have a community that is like relatively small like you know fan fiction or fan works in general like this transformative works thing is used to seeing itself as sort of a looked down upon oppressed minority of people who are inherently being judged for what they're doing that community grows big enough that it encompasses pretty much anybody who was on the internet during a certain period of time (laughs) and then what happens those people don't realize the power shift that's taken place and they're so afraid still of that judgment they're so afraid of that oppression and i'm these are, are rightful trauma responses i'm not saying that people are wrong to be so like attuned to this um because those responses come from a place of being you know ostracized those responses come from a place of being hurt or or abused or insulted for these things like whatever they come from a variety of places you're worried you think that like what you're doing inherently makes you a freak and so your immediate response is to um try to exert control on the surroundings around you and say like 
we have to meet certain standards so that mm-hmm. nobody can we call us on what we're doing. We yes. have to be respectable. Yes, it's respectability we, politics. Yeah. And so then the people who are in this community are all lashing out and saying like, well, no, we, we have to prove that like what people are saying about us is incorrect. Um, and it's like, well, you'll, you're not going to win that way, mm-hmm. right? Like, I think part of it is that. Yeah. And I also think part of it is related to um, like a kind of social capital that people mm-hmm. feel that they're gaining on the internet through like championing oppressed groups. Um, yes. And... I think a lot of people in earnest, in good faith, uh, think that by saying it is harmful to write about uh, like sexual assault or it is harmful Mm -hmm. to write about uh, like very significant age gaps in relationships. They think that they are they genuinely think that they are protecting someone and Mm -hmm. they genuinely think that like if I protect this person, it will make me appear or this abstract person, right? Not sure. like they're not protecting a specific real person. Yeah, but if no. I protect this abstract group of people who I uh, like perceive as being harmed by this thing, then it will make me appear to be one of the good people on the internet, like right. as distinct from one of the people like trying to harm minorities on the internet or what have mm-hmm. you. Um, and I think, again, earnestly, I think a lot of these people are quite young and they've never meaningfully interacted with, uh, like, social activism or political yes. activism in a way that, you know, ha- has an impact on greater society. And so, like, they can't they can't vote yet. They can't uh, they can't drive like they can't mm-hmm. uh, help people in ways that, like, feel more tangible. So they're kind of grasping for something to stand for to establish themselves as like compassionate to, to establish themselves as like a oh, good yeah. person. Totally. And I, everything um, like there's such a sense. I don't want to frame this. Um, It's amazing what things a sense of powerlessness can drive in a person. Um, mm-hmm. Really like it is one of the most unsettling circumstances you can have as a person is to feel like you don't have agency anywhere to feel like you don't have control anywhere and so for especially young people who are coming of age in an era when they are surrounded nonstop by the constant reminder of like how much shit is breaking bad at all times in the world Uh like there is this desperation to push back against it in any way shape or form and the only way you can really feel powerful is if there is a demonstrated effect of your actions, right? So, mm-hmm. like, simply being a good person, quote unquote, doesn't accomplish that. Simply, like, believing good things and wanting good things for other people doesn't have a meaningful impact on anything. So, it can be true and it can be the right thing to do, but it doesn't do anything to assuage that fear that you aren't enacting any impact anywhere because mm-hmm. all it can do is just be a state of being. It's, it's not, there's no proof of it. You know what yeah. I mean? And I think that's like people want receipts. They want proof. Mm-hmm. They want demonstrable change. They want impact and effect um, because that's greater than intent. You know, they, they need to be able to point at something and say, I did that. Um, yeah. Me and being here and being the way that I am caused this other thing to happen. Otherwise, it's just words on paper. Right. So like, unfortunately, the only way that being a good person can have a demonstrable impact is if something consequence occurs and consequence is in current like inherently the result of justice right or like or or something happening against someone and so they've confused this idea that like you can't just benefit a good thing you have to take down a bad thing because that is more impactful that has more like proof associated with it you can point to it and say this happened because of me and because of the values that i hold and the things that i contribute to and the belief systems that i espouse and so it's like yeah i think it really has become this sense of like justice is more important than benevolence um which and again i'm not saying that that's always wrong like the the sense of justice that young people have is vitally important in a lot of ways like we need it desperately um but when it's leveled against things that don't really matter (laughs) yeah 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 it is yeah it doesn't nothing happens if you say you know i i support the rights of victims of abuse uh but if you force somebody to take down a fan fiction 
that something has happened. You know, if you force somebody, yeah. like if you, if you say like, so-and-so wrote something that is harmful uh, and we should all point and look at them until mm-hmm. they are ashamed into like taking down something that, right. that that's a tangible outcome of your, of your stance, even if it is right. misguided. I, yeah, it, it does feel more powerful if you can mm-hmm. accomplish something, even if in the grand scheme of things, it's not that important. And if in reality, it's, it has nothing to do with the stance that you're trying to express. Yeah, totally. And it happens. And I'm not saying that like, uh, I'm not saying that all fan fiction is good and pure and should be protected at all costs. I'm not saying that right. people can't yeah. write harmful things they can but not all things that just sort of like happen to contain certain content are acts of violence against a community yes i think that also uh speaks to like this also has to do with like youth and just not being as media literate as Mm -hmm. you will be as an adult i think um I, i guess this is a whole larger conversation but i also think that like arts education is uh really seriously lacking and that's not the fault of anyone in the education system yeah. but uh there's certainly uh there's certainly a lot to be said for like people learning to interpret art and people learning to understand like the intent of art and like what what a point of view character is and like what yeah, uh, what narrative consequence is you know like just because something is in a and an artistic work does not mean that like the artist is advocating for that thing like it's it, you can yes totally with, with the tools to to interpret art it is much easier to understand like when a narrative is including a thing to specifically condemn it or yeah. when a narrative is including a thing to uh like explore the consequences of that thing mm-hmm. and then when a narrative is including something to advocate for it which does happen like it does happen. Totally. There, there, there is all kinds of creative work, whether fan fiction or otherwise, mm-hmm. that is uh, like advocating for extremely bad stuff or like yeah. coming from a position of uh, like sympathy for a very troubling idea. And um, sometimes people yeah. write like weird messed up concepts in their fan fictions um, simply because they're not very good writers. Yes. <laughs> and like, also, that's the also other thing. a thing that happens. Yes. It's like, sometimes people just aren't good writers. They're clumsy. They're young. They're inexperienced. This isn't their day job. You know, they only grew up reading a certain type of thing. Their concept of like what makes for good or interesting art is skewed. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm not defending this specifically, like this thing I'm about to say. Um, just for anybody out there who lacks artistic criticism skills, this is not a defense. This is not a favoritism of this thing. I'm not saying that the way that all people grew up should be the way the next generation grew up. I firmly disagree with that. I think everything should get better over time. Ideally, Mm -hmm. you know, the way I was treated as a child by my parents should never be replicated, but like there is something to be said for the fact that of the people in my generation that I interact with meaningfully who are like writers who engage with weird media. I don't know a single person who doesn't have the fairly universal experience of reading a book they were way too young to read at a moment when they were way too young to read it. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, what was the first, like, for example, I don't know if you have this very specific universal experience. What Stephen King book did you read in elementary school that you shouldn't have? I've actually never read a Stephen King book. I love that for you. That's very (laughs) cool and great and sexy of you. But it's like a fairly, like, it's enough of a universal thing that it's a benchmark trope to point to. Yeah, yeah. Kids to have read a Stephen King book in elementary school, they were way too young to read. And, like, again, I'm not saying that's great. They were too young to read it. But... there I read some something... Orson Scott Card stuff that I probably Okay, okay, so that was your yeah. thing. <laughs> so that has its own stuff that you're going to have to mm-hmm. unpack eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, but the point is that, like, part of growing up, part of coming into adulthood or adolescence or puberty, it's having the very messy experience of being uncomfortably informed of the fact that, like, there is some really fucked up stuff out there in the world, not just Mm -hmm. in media, but like in the world, there are people who are bad. There are people who do terrible things. And like, you cannot be prepared for the things that life will hand you, which hopefully dear God, it doesn't. I would love to believe that there's somebody out there right now living like a coming of age in our society. Who's never going to have a single messed up thing happen to them. Mm -hmm. I would love to believe that I can't, I can't, wrap my head around that that's not true um and so part of growing up is that you have to 
find that out at some point. Yeah. I don't believe everybody can wait until age 18 to be handed a book that says, here are all the things that humans are capable of that are so terrible and bad. Like, you have to learn earlier than that. You know, you have to, like, have that reach at some point. And I can't think of a good, safe, ethical way to hand that information to somebody. Mm -hmm. I, I don't have an alternative solution to somebody stumbling into something that they're probably not old enough to really find or that they're not prepared to really interact with but that will stick with them and probably largely you know roll off of them because they don't have the context to understand it but that will disturb and trouble them enough that they will start to form their own ideas about what is and isn't good like that's an important early step of morality yeah um i def like i said orson scott card i definitely read some yeah. some stuff in some orson scott card books and short stories as a i want to say like 10 11 12 year old mm. uh that i probably should and like should not is like a very like w loose term right because like yeah, you said yeah, totally. everybody everybody is exposed to something uh that like troubles them as mm -hmm. a child um, and my reaction to that was to like seek more of it out. I think it had a lot to do with um, like I was raised religious uh, mm. and like so much was taboo, like so much like <laughs> yeah. I was raised Catholic and like anything to do with sexuality was like really, mm. really taboo. Uh, so like that was that was the one that really like stuck out to me was like some 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 kind of messed up sexual stuff happening in these books that I was reading, uh, mm -hmm. like darkly fascinated me in the same way that like when I was, I want to say like five, I saw Jurassic Park. And yeah. It horrified me. I was terrified of uh, like velociraptors in mm -hmm. my kitchen. I was like lying up at night, like hearing clicking noises and like totally convinced that like the dinosaurs mm -hmm. were coming to get me. My reaction to that was to get really into dinosaurs. Yeah. Uh, like, which I guess doesn't make any sense abstractly, but it like, it, it, it helped me process that information better, you know, like knowing oh, yeah, more about absolutely. dinosaurs, like, I don't know exactly like what was going on there, but anyway, like it, it, it improved my relationship with that media. So, like, when I started encountering, like, uh, you know, troubling things mm -hmm. as a young, young teen, preteen, uh, like, my reaction to it was to, like, seek more of that out and, like, like, kind of, kind of suss out what was going on there and, like, how much of this exists in culture. Like, am I reading the only, like, really fucked up scene like this that has yeah. ever been written by a <laughs> spoiler human alert being. no like yeah yeah <laughs> so um yeah that was and like i said i've never like certainly have, i've i have had like problems in my life and i've had troubling yeah, totally. things happen to me but like i've never had any kind of like major uh like life-altering trauma i would mm -hmm. say uh but even so like i was attracted to like these dark themes and as an adult, I am much less so. I think mm -hmm. that period in my life really helped me work out that, like, my relationship to, like, dark sexual ideas and on, like, as an adult, like, I am just viscerally much less interested in that. I'm, I'm not sort of attracted to those ideas anymore. And I think that was, that was an important development process for me. And so yeah, totally. people, people bring up a lot that uh you know like exploring dark themes helps people deal with trauma and i think that is completely valid and true but uh i also am concerned that that kind of message will uh like sort of communicate to other people that like it is not okay to interact with dark themes if you're not using it as <laughs> must recovery be at least this from traumatized trauma. to write. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Must be at least this traumatized to write, uh, you know, like weird age gap fan fiction about a uh, teacher seducing student or whatever. Oh, totally. Well, I mean, yeah. I think that like implicitly, just to get back to an earlier point that we were made and like sort of this circuitousness of like, I think that anytime you fall into the trap of like justification as a uh response to persecution like you're wrong you're already mm -hmm. you've already lost if yeah. you're trying to say like no 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 uh actually 
you shouldn't be saying this thing because we're not doing it the bad way. It's like, yeah. Okay. Same, well, same first thing. of all, first yeah. of all, it's like, it's the same thing. It's like being one of the good gays is never going to save you. Right. Like yeah. being the acceptable kind of transgender is never going to save you. Like being somebody who responds to trauma in a way that is like pure and wholesome is good is not going to actually protect you any more than somebody who like lashes out and has those damaging things having like being somebody whose mental illness is more societally acceptable is not actually going to protect you from the things that you're going to encounter and the ways that you're going to be discriminated against in the et cetera et cetera et cetera et cetera, et cetera. i could go on forever like the thing that we need to be unpacking is not like well how can i be how can I distance myself from the kind of criticisms being levied against this community that I belong to? And it's more about like, okay, why are we le like levying criticism against this community? Like what mm -hmm. is actually the problem here? Um, but uh, yeah, no. And I appreciate you saying that. Like I am a very traumatized person. I, I have a lot of baggage from my childhood and my early adolescence. Um, and I definitely have found myself engaging with like some problematic art as a way to sort of, unpack some of those things. I didn't know that's what I was doing when I did it. Mm -hmm. um, but I also don't think that's the only valid reason to do it. Like I said, like, I think it's an important part of every human's development, no matter what age you are when you get here, to recognize that like, there are people in the world who are capable of doing stuff that's bad, <laughs> like mm -hmm. really bad. There are people who are capable of conceiving of things that are bad that are like mm -hmm. really really bad and weird and messed up and like that looking is at you, just george martin <laughs> looking at you george r. r martin yeah looking a little askance at you yeah but people love that shit so anyway yeah anyway this point is being, what i mean like <laughs> point being that yeah. i'm not even gonna touch that right now what i'm gonna say is that i think it is so important to understand like what human beings are capable of both so that you are not completely unprepared when you encounter it in the real world um, and like rendered completely defenseless by the sheer shock of it being possible or like mm -hmm. the disbelief that anybody could really be that bad and there's got to be something else going on. So, no, sometimes people just like are capable of terrible messed up things. But also so that like when you have those own impulses within yourself or you like are intrigued by that material or want to seek it out, you have a way to reckon with it and sort of turn it over in your brain that doesn't involve actually hurting other people. Yeah, of course. And like, I also don't want to imply that people who uh, like seek out dark stuff uh, have the capacity within them to like enact that in real life. Uh, well, I mean, so I think like, I, I listen, I, I might get canceled for this. I think everybody has the capacity to. Okay, I think that's that, fair. Yeah. I think that part of like, I think that's part of why it's important is like recognizing there are not like, two kinds of human like people who are yeah. capable of great evil and people who aren't everybody's just guys and like the spectrum of human experience spreads that pretty wide distance it's part of what makes the things in this world that rule like rule so hard it's what makes beauty beautiful it's what makes peace and joy and righteousness and like you know forgiveness and 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 love and compassion and empathy so compelling and worthwhile and meaningful is the fact that they exist in direct opposition to other choices that could be made. Yeah. It's like I, there are not people who are born only with the capacity for goodness and people who are born solely to be twisted, like messed up monsters. Sure. It's like this is humanity. And if you aren't aware that these things are things that like the people around you and you yourself are capable of enacting, then chances are you're more likely to enact them like you gotta know what is out there and what's going on it for no other reason than like you just understand that the ways that you choose to interact with other people and the ways that you like even if it's just like for the sake of you being like well i don't ever want to write stuff like that i want to write nice stuff instead and i only want to read good stuff okay great go do that mm -hmm. but th that's the choice that is available to you yeah, I philosophically agree with you. I 100% I agree that, like, everybody is capable of essentially the entire range of, like, human thought and action. Mm -hmm. Like, if, if pushed far enough, anybody can literally do anything. Uh, I just brought that up because I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, like, imply that, like, if you're attracted to dark material that, uh, like, you're, I don't know, on on a path to 
Oh like, yeah, you're not like predisposed behavior. to Yeah, evil. yeah, it does, yeah, exactly. No, 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 totally you're not like not. pre you're not predisposed to like being a serial killer or something. No, no, definitely if, not. I yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm not going to say that like everybody is is compelled by dark material. I'm not going to make that like broad of a stance. I'm not going mm-hmm. to say that like you know, if you're not, then surprise, psych, you actually are. Like, okay, yeah. you know yourself, you know your brain. If you don't want anything to do with that material, you don't. That's fine. But, like, you are not fundamentally different or more pure than other people who are interested or, like, compelled or fascinated by that material. Mm-hmm. Um, those are just people who are engaging with a different facet of the human experience. And it can be solely academic or intellectual. It can be something that's helping them process something else. It can be just because they're like, I think it's kind of wild that people could think of something like that like could i think of something like that if i just sat here and thought about it that's pretty weird yeah um you know and i think it's also worthwhile frankly to have the conversation of which people get criticized when that's a part of their art you know Uh people love carpenter films and that stuff's fucked up (laughs) yeah you know Um famously like cronenberg is like writing you know has made some really really messed up films and those are heralded as like niche genre artwork like okay yes and i don't have a problem with that george rr martin has written all of those books that have like no shortage of of messed up content in them which is like heralded as gritty realism so like there is a pattern to which people are allowed to write this material and have it be considered worth artistic merit and value for like capturing some dark side of like what we're all capable of like George R. R. Martin and and Cronenberg are not a different species than the twelve year old who's writing in the My Little Pony tags. Okay, yeah. they yeah. just have different audiences. They have different expectations laid upon them by the artwork that's come before them. And you might be a little bit more surprised to find that kind of content in the My Little Pony tags than you would if you were watching The Fly. But it, they're not different creatures writing them. They're yeah. all and just of course- people. Like, of course, it is well known that uh, fan fiction is much more uh, like the the population of fan fiction writers and consumers is has a much higher percentage of women and queer people than yes. like the general population. So, yes, you're like it's extremely conspicuous when people like nitpick fan fiction, which is a yes. very, very niche media with a quite limited audience and Mm -hmm. like the material of that uh is you know if if you're if you're writing dark material in a fan fiction community uh meanwhile like like you said george martin is uh making fucking eight tv shows a year now with his like incest (laughs) shit Uh, yeah he doesn't even have to make them anymore people are just extrapolating yeah Um, (laughs) people are literally writing game of thrones fan fiction and it's fine when they do it uh the last two episodes were about uh game of thrones and scandals in the game oh of nice thrones <laughs> well, great i love that for them um anyway yeah. but yeah it's like I, it, and again I, the impulse i think is both internal and external it's both internal mm-hmm. to the quote-unquote community in that people are hyper aware and cognizant of the fact that they are going to be subject to criticism and also a a, a an understanding an empathetic understanding of the fact that it is a playground of the marginalized and they want to keep people safe and i understand that so they feel this need to like police it internally there are systems that exist for that there's tagging mm-hmm. there's filters there's searches and kids are much- going to ignore those and say this sign will not stop me because i cannot read and then they yeah. will look for it anyway and that's on them and their guardians like that well, is not my it, responsibility it is- it is no different than being in a library and picking up a yes, Stephen exactly. King book. Yes, exactly. Um, it- yeah, but then it's also from external, from people who have these preconceived notions of fan fiction and what it is and the criticism it merits and want to paint with a very broad brush. And so, yeah, it's a mess. It's a total mess. But it doesn't mean that... Uh, and no matter how much you police it, people are going to write that stuff anyway. It's just a yeah. matter of whether or not it stays locked in a txt file on their computer or whether it makes it in front of an audience who might also find fascination or benefit in it yeah god you're so articulate alex (laughs) thank you so much i read a lot of fan fiction (laughs) (laughs) i genuinely did not know that your uh your thesis was about censorship that's that's really interesting uh yeah yeah it was again it was like a very niche like narrow focus um it was like censorship as explored through this one specific topic um but yeah that was the focus of like what i sort of grounded my senior year capstone work on look at look at us like winding down perfectly in exactly an hour <laughs> like 
<laughs> wow. I wonder if either of us has ever done this before. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, is there anything that we didn't cover that you really want to yell about? Oh, man. I'm sure I'll think of something like as soon as we turn this off and then I'll find an excuse to weasel my way back onto your show again. <laughs> but um, I really feel like this is very concise and well-timed. So, Yeah. Well done, us. High five. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm leaving uh, let kudos me just, on this episode. Let me let me just say for the record that uh, you can come back anytime, literally whenever. Uh, you're you're great. I love your brain. Um, is there <laughs> anything that you want to plug? Anything you're doing right now that you want people to know about? Oh gosh, not or anything really. <laughs> anything that your anything your friends are doing that you want people to know about? Oh no, that's always a great question. Um, um well. You should listen to Fed Fiction is good, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, Good Neighbors is doing a second campaign, so you should they definitely are. check that out. Um, to be totally honest, right now, a lot of the stuff that I'm working on is either uh, still like in in development and and yet to be released, and it's just sort of like you know slow pro- progress here and there, or uh, has completely ground to a halt uh, in the nature of the world and the everything mm-hmm. and the priorities that by necessity you know me and my friends have to have. Um, so if you want to PayPal me five bucks so I can save up for uh, you know the classes that I'm starting in January, that would be great. <laughs> but other than that, <laughs> what's your Venmo? <laughs> Um, oh my the... gosh, you can find me on Venmo at Alex Flanagan. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put it in the show notes. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Alex. Like I said, you are uh, incredibly articulate. And uh, like the, the reason that I approached you initially about like co-hosting this w- with me is because like you fucking know what you're talking about all the time. <laughs> like you uh, at least project that energy. I feel I feel informed. I feel like you know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, here's the thing i learned at a very young age that um and this is you know not awesome but if i opened my mouth before i knew what i was talking about um i was going to get dragged through the mud (laughs) so Mm. you know you like learn when to pick your battles and like i'm fairly certain i can speak informed on that or i will uh simply refrain from entering the conversation until i've had the chance to learn so i think that yeah everybody can benefit from taking a little bit of time to decide and discover what their opinions are on something before they talk about it, but also know that your opinions can change over time. You know, I yep. no longer think that Black Widow and Loki are like the greatest pairing ever to come out of any piece of media. So you too can grow as a person. Yeah. I used to, I used to suck as like a, a late teenager. Let me just tell you, I, I had some bad opinions and people can change. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, most teenagers suck. I love them, yeah. but um, I is... will love them more in about 10 years. Yeah, this is why I have a lot of compassion for people who, like, have wrong ideas when they're 16 and 17, because, boy, howdy, I did, let me tell you. Oh, yeah, and I I think it's so... I think it's so, so important that you have those ideas and that you believe strongly in them. Um, I think that, again, having such a strong internal compass and having a finely honed sense of justice as clumsily directed as it may be is a really important part of being a young person and of being someone who's coming of age, especially in a country that quite frankly, drastically needs that. So I'm sucks here, guys. It sucks. (laughs) It's pretty bad. I'm so grateful for the kids and I am enormously grateful for all of the marginalized people out there who have taken the harm weaponized against them and turned it into a desire to fight back and ensure that those conditions are not replicated upon other people. I would just caution them to make sure that they're not replicating those conditions upon other people. So, yeah. Yeah. It's know. important to care about stuff, guys. It's, we, we support you. Also, uh, <laughs> be open to change, even if it feels like people are being really needlessly uh, harsh at you when they're requesting change, because that does happen on the internet. Like, we're, oh, living yeah. in an er- we're living in an era where people, uh, like, it is hard to communicate nuance on the internet, and it's hard to, uh, like, be compassionate towards other people when you cannot perceive their face yes. like when you can't look them in the eye and have a conversation with them mm-hmm. so be compassionate to others and also um accept ideas even if they are not communicated compassionately like really like think about yes. them think about yourself think about your opinions uh but always have opinions have strong opinions oh yeah even have if opinions. they're wrong even if they're wrong and just be willing to rethink and change your ideas because that's yeah. that's healthy and recognize when you just don't have an opinion on something. You don't yes. like 
Because if you don't, that's a great chance to either learn enough about the thing to have an opinion on it or to leave that conversation. Yes, it is okay <laughs> to say, like, I don't know, let me think about that. Like, if you're presented yeah, yeah. with new information, do mull it over. Think about yeah, it for a while. But, you, you, know, don't need I, to, you don't need to make a snap judgment. You, you got to... You got to process that information. You got to yeah. learn more. I also think just in general, you will know so much more peace if you always operate from the assumption that any given person you interact with on the internet, there's like a 90% chance they're having the worst day of their life. Yeah. <laughs> and that's especially <laughs> true, like since March, 2020, mm-hmm. like consider how many truly bad days you've had. Consider how many, like how frequently you are on the brink and ready to lose it at the next person that like irritates you and then assume that that person is you on the internet as a stranger and that like the tweet that you just fired off like they totally took in the wrong way and are like looking for a fight on um you can just leave it's fine you can just leave but also assume that like other people might make good points and this was a hard lesson for me to learn might just be less good at talking about them than you because like you said like i learned very early on that like I am more well positioned to be listened to, to be well liked, to be taken seriously, and to feel powerful if I am able to well articulate the things that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And so that became a thing that I finally honed in myself. And it meant that for a long time when I was a terrible teenager, um, just looking down on anybody else that wrote fan fiction on the internet, that because I was able to articulate my ideas better than other people, that meant that um, I could be right by default because nobody was going to really be able to challenge me on it. And that is like, one very unhelpful two means you're never going to learn anything because if you're Mm -hmm. just like talking circles around somebody um then they can't like you're you're weaponizing that and yeah this is a way to compare you to jordan peterson but this is the only reason jordan peterson like has a following is totally yes no exactly extremely confidently and he uses really big words and his sentences Mm -hmm. like just bop all over the map, you know, like he, he controls yeah. the conversation and he sounds very confident. So, yeah. So yeah. be, be wise, be mindful of that. And uh, mm-hmm. don't assume that everything that I say is right just because I say it in a pretty way. Um, uh, but yeah, well, open yourself I, up to the idea that people who are less well-educated than you might also have a lot more to say than you in a way that's like very fascinating and you can learn a lot from it. So yeah. that's true. Fan fiction too. You should read some poorly written fan fictions. They might have really interesting stuff in them. Yeah. That's all I got. I, think I just wanted it. to make it relevant. <laughs> fan Fiction is Good, actually, is part of Where They May Radio, a small family of podcasters just doing our best. You can keep up with Fanfiction is Good actually on Twitter at fanficisgoodpod. For bonus content, including bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash WTM radio. Where they may radio.